All right. That was fun. Just to hear what God's doing there. Um, here's the here's thought I'm going to throw out to you. Maybe it, it just caught my attention when he said this. How is it that Christians in the midst of heartache and difficulty can say it's okay? Right? That's, that's the word he said, right? He said, here's all these things going on in our life. Here's what's happening. But then he finished with this thought where he said, it's okay. Like how? Like I think sometimes, especially like me as somebody that, you know, I kind of grew up maybe watching Christians a little bit, but somebody that really didn't grow up wanting to follow Jesus, I would always hear Christians say this thing about, you know, you know, it's, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, and on a lot of ways I just thought, you know, that's just what you tell yourself from a wishful thinking standpoint, that somehow it's going to be okay, but do you really honestly believe it? That was the question going on in the back of my head most times when I was, when I was wrestling through that. Now, what's so cool is in the book of 1 Peter, where we're going to be, and if you got your Bibles, you can open up there today to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in, in chapter 1. We're going to bounce into verse 3. I don't, I don't know how far we'll get. Uh, we're going to do some of it today, and then we'll do some of it tomorrow. I'll kind of listen to how the kiddos are doing in here, and uh, we'll kind of decide how, how long we're going we're gonna to go this morning. But one of the things that's so cool about the, first, the book of 1 Peter is it answers this question why Christians are going to be okay. Now, one of the words, that, the two words that I threw out to you last week that we want to anchor all of this in is this, this, these two words, elect exiles. On the one end, exiles is just a statement that we understand that if you choose to follow Jesus Christ, life is not going to be easy. In fact, we're going to feel oftentimes like we don't belong, that we're, we're a part of a group of people that feel like we're on the outside, but the other word that gets thrown in there, which is the word of elect that we tried to unpack all last week is, is that though we are ones that are going to go through a difficult time, as elect ones, we are chosen by God. And what that does is that puts us in this beautifully privileged position in which now God chose the time, the place, every aspect of it. If we are alive right now and followers of his, we are in the exact perfect place that we're supposed to be, even in the midst of heartache. Now here's what you need to know about the, the, the few verses that we're going to look at today and look at next week is that in many ways, what, what is going on with Peter is he's He's launching off to tell them kind of, hey, you know, it is tough out in this world. You are these people that are spread out kind of all over northern Turkey. Life is difficult. But he wants them to know why they are so secure and what God is doing now. Now, here's what's so cool. To help them understand why they're secure and what God is doing now, those two things, he's going to grab something from their past that God has done in their life. He's gonna grab something in the future of what God has done in their life. And then he's gonna explain why it is and what God is doing in the midst of so much difficulty. Now here's what he does. Look at verse three and skip the first slide. Just go to, to 1 Peter 1, look at verse three. He says this. He just says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, he anchors something in the past. Now, this is what, if you're taking notes or you're writing in your Bible, this is so important to know. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, 
you have been born again. You are someone again, kind of like almost a John 3 with Nicodemus. You have been made different. You see the world differently. You see all kinds of things from a different light. You have new taste, new perspective. Now, why? Well, here's the deal that Peter's going to let us know. It was nothing that you did. It was totally a work of God. I'll never forget the first time somebody explained the gospel to me. Most of you guys know this. I grew up a background. Uh, science was my world. I was mathematics, chemistry, kind of biochemistry. That was my world. And I thought this whole Bible thing was absolutely stupid. But there I was one day sitting in an evolution class and the professors walking through where all these different things came from. And finally I started raising my hand going, you know, where did that come from? What's the first cause? What's initial cause? And he just looked at me at one point and he said, I don't know, why don't you go ask a theologian? There was this dude that used to just sit in the, in, the, in the student union building that would have his Bible open. So I thought, I don't know, that's the only dude I know that kind of maybe is a theologian. And I went after evolution class and I sat across from him and I said, hey, my evolution professor says I need to talk to you. And I remember him looking at me like, what? But it was the first time ever in my life where this whole reality of the gospel began to make sense. Why? Because I was, in that moment, in this process, the Spirit of God was drawing me to himself. I was being born again, and I used to be dead, but now all of a sudden the ideas appeared, living hope. I became alive to the realities of who God is. See, every one of you in here, and this is where Peter wants to anchor it. We were all born, the Bible says, into sin. We were a part of just a, a ragtag, no good family that, that when they were talking about this woman in the village, right, that, that thinks somehow we're supposed to strive for the top, to get to the best. And yet all along, though, it's an upside down world where no, to be born again into this family means we're no longer pursuing what the world used to pursue, the appetites, the tastes, all those other things. We now become a group of people that have new desires new longings, new, new, new wants in this world in which we live in. We have been born again to a living hope. We're made alive. Now for Peter, he wanted them to get that because he wanted them to understand who they used to be was someone that was dead. They were a part of that old family, but now they've been brought into this family that though this family is getting beat up and torn down and feeling like they're spread all over the place, he wants them to know that's actually what Jesus Christ looked like. So you're a part of an honorable family. You're a part of a great group of people. And let me just say this, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in here, you may not realize it, but you're a part of the greatest family ever whose father, who our father is the good father that has created all things. We have a unique brother relationship as the firstborn from all creation, Jesus Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are connected in new life to the God of the universe. In other words, when we ask the question or when Thomas says we're okay, why? We know God. And we've been made alive to him. But he doesn't just stop there. In verse 5 then, if you notice, he says this living hope. Hope isn't like, you know, a wish or a longing. You know, I, I, I hope today that my wife comes home from the beach so that I don't have to be with my children for the rest of the day. No, I'm kidding. <sighs> Dang it, I shouldn't have gone there. I meant control my mouth. No, 
Hope isn't like a wish. Hope in the Bible means I am 100% confident. But hope for what? Well, in verse five now, he starts to lay out this idea of what the hope is. Now, now go there with me. Go to verse five on on the screen if you could. He says this, the hope that you have is to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, not only are you safe and secure in the past and the way God has now saved you and made you a part of his family, locked you into who you are now as one of his children, but he says in there, there's an inheritance. Now for the people of First Peter's time, they probably, when they chose to follow Jesus, they would have been outcasts. They would have been kicked out of maybe their societal structure. They would have lost everything, including their inheritance. And he's looking at them and saying, you have something even better than that. He says, let me tell you about your particular future. Your future in Jesus Christ that he has secured for you is an inheritance, he says, and there uses three words, imperishable meaning. It will never rot away. In this world, things kind of, they come, they, they develop, they die. He says, that will never happen for you. He says, it's, un, it's undefiled. It, it's, it's not touched by corruption. It's, it's unfading. In other words, now, it's not something that's gonna decrease over value over time. What you have in your inheritance, he says, as now being included into this honorable family, is you've got something that will never go away. A few weeks ago when I was back and we were dealing with my dad's estate, we were laughing about the fact that part of the Nicewanger um, uh, lineage and how, what happens with things is, is our parents usually, they will tell us something along the lines of, you guys are all doing well, uh, therefore you don't have an inheritance. And my dad wasn't lying. (laughs) But he passed along to me something greater than money. He passed along to me the greatness and the goodness of Jesus. He didn't pass along to me coin. He didn't pass along to me, you know, this the, 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 the maybe some of the things that we tend to think about as an inheritance, land, and property. But I remember the last conversation we had when he was out here working with me on my, my kitchen. He said, Todd, he goes, I know I'm not leaving you with a whole lot, but he goes, I left you with Jesus and that's enough. Wow. At the time though, I wanted to say, yeah, but Jesus is good, but you surely have something else, right? <laughs> he locked it into the future. Not only that, but when you look at that particular verse, throw that verse back up there, that verse has within it the idea, if you could imagine for a second, is that this inheritance that you have is not only something that's going to be sure, but it's God is even going to get you there. It would almost be like if my dad, you know, did have this large, massive estate for me, and in order to get there, they also would give me a dietitian because, you know, obviously I'm, I'm gaining a few pounds, and so my heart's not beating as well, so they're going to get me into shape. They're going to they're gonna give me a doctor and a physician, all these different things to be able to get me there. In other words, they're not just going to give me the money. They're going to get me there complete and prepared and ready and totally able now to enjoy the inheritance. See, these two verses, what they tell us is, is that what God began in you, he is going to complete. 
He is going to get all of his faithful family. We'll talk about this next week, who the faithful family are. All of those ones that now live in this honorable family with this great God that's created all things, what he started, Philippians 1.6, he will finish. And he just locks those points out there and says, do you believe that? Now, in the back of their heads, though, you know they're going, but what about the in-between? Peter, it's hard. Do you understand what's going on with us right now? We've been, we've been made outcasts of our culture. We've been moving from town to town trying to, to deal with some of the oppression that was going on at the particular time. Peter, and here's the question I think they were asking, what's God doing? I remember last year during the summer, I sat down with somebody, you know, we were outside and we were kind of wrestling through the world and what was going on at the time. And I just, I remember the guy looking at me and going, what do you think God is doing? Because it just feels like it's so out of control. Well, starting in verse six, he all of a sudden tells them something that's incredible. He wants them to understand that this, this reality of what God is doing now is something that seems so upside down. It seems so un unlikely in what he's going to do. But I think this next section is so important to understand in the book of 1 Peter. Look at verse 6, and I'll have them throw that up there. Look at verse 6. It says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, the perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now there's three words I want you to, if you've got your Bible and you're circling or if you're taking notes, there's three words I want you to get off this. The first one that you put up there is grieved. The second one there is trials. And the third one there is test. And if you are completely honest, you're like, I don't like those three words. <laughs> right? I didn't wake up this morning just going, oh, God, I just want to thank you so much for, you know, the trials that you placed in my life. In fact, I'm a little too comfy. Could you just really lock and load and press it down a little harder? That's not our natural bent. That's not how we think. But yet Peter is going to think that way. Now, the word that I think unlocks what kind of Peter is talking about here is that word test. Now, test doesn't mean like an exam in school. It's not like, you know, there's a right or wrong answer to this. The word test here is a, a metallurgical term. It's a, it's a way in which they would determine the kind of the, the, the quality of a particular metal after they would, they would, they would melt it down. Now you see this when you, he, he talks about this idea of gold kind of that's now that's been uh, refined by fire. This is what he's thinking, except this is what we have to get into our minds. God is never afraid to take his people who are a part of his family, who have been given a living hope, who have been given this reality of now being a part of something that is no longer dead, but we see the world differently. And then this group of people that has an inheritance and then looking at them and saying, I will bring under you under the white, hot reality of my gracious love for you because I'm going to do something in you that refines you. In fact, God, I would say it this way, he's going to give mercy. If you look back in verse 3, he's going to give mercy, but it is going to be mercy that is completely uncomfortable. 
Now, when I wrestle through this, again, as I'm kind of just playing with this in my own head, sometimes I don't mind going through it myself. But have you ever noticed one of the hardest things in the world is to watch somebody receive the mercy of God as a follower of Jesus Christ and walk through that uncomfortable reality that's not us? Whether we're talking our kiddos, whether we're talking family members, our friends, but yet Peter is looking at them and he is saying, actually, in the same way that it's a gift that you've been brought into this new honorable family and received this inheritance that's a part of what God's doing, God also is doing something inside of you and testing you and at different points putting you under the white hot heat of his mercy and he's going to do something, but what is he going to do? Well, again, back to metallurgy. If you've ever seen ore before, gold ore, it's not that pretty. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's kind of ugly. I remember my uncle, he used to have like different gold mines. I remember him taking me one day and I got to see the ore. And I remember looking at him going, oh, that's kind of ugly. He goes, oh, but Todd, it's incredible. Once you melt it down, it becomes this gold. What they would do is they would take this ore, they would put it inside of a, of a large kiln, they would cover it, and they would turn up the heat to between one, about 1,200 to 1,600 degrees Celsius. They would start heating that thing up, and in the midst of heating it up, everybody knows this gold, which is a very heavy metal, would float to the bottom, and to the top would come all the different other kind of uh, different rocks and, 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 and uh, uh, things that are inside of it that they would then just begin to sweep away one at a time. That heat would never stop on that thing. And the whole goal, though, was to get it down to that one little piece of it, the thing that everybody's after, that gold. Now, what he's talking about with us in this particular process is, is that all of us, when we came to know Jesus, are like ore. All right? We're ore. We have within us things that aren't good. We have within us things that need to be taken away. And I would say this, this is the beauty of what God's doing, is he's not gonna stop the white hot heat of his love and his mercy in our lives until he has done his goal of transforming us into what we're gonna honor one, or who we're gonna honor one day, Jesus Christ. He will not quit in our lives. In fact, this is what would happen is you would have the guy and he was the guy that was the metallurgist and he would sweep it away and they had this word that was used here for testing in which they would look in it called the face test and they would keep going away with it and away with it and away with it till finally out of that ore they saw their face. One of the beauties of what God is doing in our lives is that he's not just locking our past and our future, but right now in each and every one of our lives, he is bringing the heat to bear on our lives in different ways, in different forms, and he's standing over the top of it and he's wiping away the dross until he sees his own face in us. He will not quit until Jesus is formed in you and me. In other words, he is prepping us for the future that, that earlier on we talked about of all these tribes, tongues, and nations being there one day. He is prepping us to be there. He's shaping us all into these little Christs. Now trust me, when I say this, I understand it is difficult. It's hard. Nobody wants to go through it, but here's the question. At the end of the day, do you want to look like Jesus? 
Because if you want to look like Jesus, there is no other path than a path that is the white hot heat of God's mercy and great uncomfortability to shape us and mold us into the image of his son. But let me take it a step further as I bring it to a close. All these little kiddos around here, when you look at them, I was just, I was looking out over it, right? They came up here and it was, it was cute. I mean, not all of them were cute, but most of them were, right? They were pretty cute, right? Right? Your kid was cute, but not like, you know, other people's kids. <laughs> but I'm just watching this going, oh, those are incredible kiddos. But most of them don't have a clue what's coming up in life, do they? Now, in some ways, I love it. You know, there's a beautiful ignorance is bliss. But people have been saying to me over and over again, oh my gosh, this world my kiddos are gonna grow up in. I don't want them to grow up in this world. It's so hard. It's so difficult. Things are just different. But I truly believe our kiddos are growing up in the exact world that they need to grow up in to look like Jesus Christ. We can raise them in this. We can help them to grow because that white hot heat of the Father being brought to bear is in a beautiful way gonna shape and mold them and prepare them, not for the world we grew up in. I mean, I grew up in the 70s, right? And the 70s were just bizarre and weird. And then the 80s, I mean, yeah, the 80s were just, we leave those alone. But you know, some of you were born in, the, in like the, you know, the teens and the 20s and whatnot, but I'm kidding. This is the time that God designated them for them to live in. This is the place he's gonna use them. And we are raising our kids to follow Jesus Christ, not in the world that used to be, but in the world that is, in the world that will be. We are prepping young little followers of Jesus to have God bring the white hot heat of his gracious mercy to bear on us in such a way that we are transformed into these people that bring praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're doing. Now we're gonna bring it to more, more light next week. But as we look around at these little kiddos, our God has them. We don't have to freak out. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Earlier on, when, when Thomas said this, is that we're okay, we are. We're good. God has our kiddos. Yeah, they can have troubles and trials and struggles and tests, oh yes. But I believe God is gonna do a work in them that is absolutely powerful. And all God's people said. All right. Hey, you kiddos, you did great today. You did awesome. You did awesome. Can I have everybody stand up? We're going to pray, and then I'll have, uh, I'll have Billy play us out today, but let's pray together. Father, thank you so much just for the privilege of being here today of opening your word, of hearing stories about what God is doing on the other side of the planet, of hearing about what God has done in our midst, just the great week with VBS. And Father, I am so thankful that everybody in here that knows you, our people, 
that are ones who are secure. They've been born into a new honorable family, Father. And so I praise you and I thank you that we're a part of that. We've been giving not just anything. We've been given living hope. And Father, I'm so thankful that living hope has an inheritance that's nothing like this world has to offer. That Father, in the midst of the heartache and the difficulty, we truly do believe that this light momentary affliction is building up for us a greater weight of glory beyond anything that we can imagine. Help Cornerstone to be a church that believes with everything that we are that that's true. And then, Father, we come before you understanding that none of us, maybe in the back of our heads, long to go through testing. We don't long to go through grief. We don't long to go through trials. But, Father, help us to believe that your mercy is just as present there as it is in every other thing that you do in our lives. Help us to buy into that mercy that may be uncomfortable, Father, but help us to believe that being transformed into the image of Jesus is greater than any reward this world could ever offer us. And so we ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. So in the name of the Father, who absolutely adores you, adores you to the point that he invited you to be a part of his family. In the name of the Son who came in the book of Romans chapter 8, it says he was the, the, this first son, this one that was the firstborn among the dead, who paved the way now so that all of us in here that know Jesus can be sons and daughters of the King Most High. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, who causes us to be born again, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead and gave him life is alive and well in us. So in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, God bless you this week as you live in ones that are in the furnace at times, but that furnace is good because we're shaped and molded in the image of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you.